Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. All right, folks, today is July 1st, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Manhattan DA smacks the Trump Organization 15-count indictment. We're going to break down what it means. Oh, yeah, they're trying to hold that thug accountable for shady business dealings. Also, speaking of shady, the Supreme Court gut Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Conservatives on the court making it a lot easier for Republicans to uh, uh, have voter suppression. Also, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she's appointed Republican Liz Cheney to the January 6th Select Committee. It's going to be chaired by Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi, who, of course, is the chair of the Department of Homeland Security Committee. Folks, we've got a jam-packed show for you. We'll also talk about Nicole Hannah-Jones getting tenure at the University of North Carolina. Will she take the job? It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. 
All right, folks, uh, welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered. We have been telling you repeatedly, voting matters. Well, today, the Supreme Court, in a 6-3 to three ruling, made it clear that they will side with Republicans who want to make it harder to vote. What was before the court was a case out of Arizona that dealt with the issue of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Well, essentially what the Supreme Court did was invalidate Section 2, uh, saying, yeah, we know there might be some disparities, but you know what? It's all good. Uh, the liberal justices, it had strong dissent, including Justice Elena Kagan, making it clear uh, that this is an abomination of the Voting Rights Act, and it is Congress that actually passed that law. There's a reason why they did so. Let's go right to our panel and talk about this whole deal. Uh, of course, we got Reese Cover, Black Women Views. We got uh, Dr. Greg Carr, of course, professor of African American history, Howard University. Also, of course, teaches, of course, uh, there uh, in their law school uh, as well. Uh, folks, uh, and uh, just give me one second here, because uh, I'm just looking at, there's always uh, breaking news, some sort of uh, setting this uh, phone uh, on vibrate so we're not completely interrupted uh, during uh, today's show. Uh, and so um, this, folks, is, is, is utterly confusing. Well, it's not confusing because we know exactly uh, what goes on uh, here uh, in uh, this country when it comes to voting. And, Greg, this is no shock. This is what happens when you get Republicans who control the Supreme Court. That's why those two seats were so important that Mitch McConnell stole from President Barack Obama. Yeah, absolutely, Roland. There were two cases uh, today, one yesterday and today. Uh, the one that's not getting as much press is the Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Bonta. That was a case out of California where John Roberts, using the First Amendment, Johnny Johnny Roberts, my man, John Roberts, uh, siding with the, the white nationalist, uh, hardcore white nationalist, to basically say that the state of California cannot require these uh, nonprofits to uh, provide the names of their major donors. Uh, Americans for Prosperity, by the way, uh, is a big uh, beneficiary of Charles Koch. Um, and they are the ones that sued, lost at the two levels. And then, as you say, got to the Supreme Court with those stolen seats. And John Roberts sided with them and said that they, would, they have an interest not to be harassed because people find out they gave money and then they're threatened. So he's creating a new protected class billionaires. But the one we're talking about, the uh, Brnovich versus DNC, and I was reading the opinion earlier today, and, and uh, as you say, the dissent from Kagan, and it was a very long dissent, I think, because, of course, people understand, when you're writing a dissent at the Supreme Court level, you're writing not necessarily to win the day today, you lost that, but you're writing so that in the future, that can be used. That's what you see in Brown, for example. But, you know, uh, Sam Alito, a good white nationalist who was hot to get in that Pennsylvania Supreme Court case. Remember that during the election? He really wanted to get after it. He brought up the specter again of voter fraud in his majority opinion, but he also set out um, and understand Section 2 of the Voter Rights Act has usually been, in fact, this is the first case to go to court not about redistricting. That's usually what they use Section uh, 2 of the Voting Rights Act to do, to challenge redistricting. That's because the 15th Amendment is there as well. And we could talk about that a little bit later. But this case, this case brought up the process of discriminatory uh, impact. There are two things that could be brought up. Discriminatory impact. In other words, did they pass these laws and will it have a discriminatory impact on minorities? Or was, was it purposeful? Did they do this with uh, minorities in mind specifically. They didn't go after the discriminatory uh, in, uh, intent. They went after discriminatory impact. And what Alito said, and I'll stop here and then we can go back, go back and forth and hear what Reese has to say about this as well. 
um, what Alito basically said is, look, there are many different ways to vote. It used to be you had to vote on election day. In fact, the first sentence of his opinion says America, Arizona law generally makes it very easy to vote. His thing is, if you show up the wrong precinct, which is one of the two things they went after in Arizona, this whole notion of uh, going to the wrong precinct. He said, if you go to the wrong precinct and you vote, hey, if uh, they find out you're the wrong precinct, Arizona is within their rights to throw your vote away. He's basically saying, if y'all too stupid to show up at the, then to show up at the wrong precinct, then Arizona is not on uh, Arizona. They shifted the burden to the voter, and we can talk a lot more about it. But that's basically the the core of it. They went after uh, they went after the voter in this case. I want to bring in. Uh, 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 let's see here. Uh, for some reason, I am frozen. Can can y'all hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, all right, so let me do this. Let me bring in. Uh, we're going to, we're going to talk to him about the New York situation. But I want to bring him in right now because I know he has something to say about this as well. Lawrence Norton, he's the director of election reform program at the Brennan Center for Justice. They have been one of the leading voices out here uh, dealing with this issue of election reform uh, and dealing with what's happening with the, with the attack on voting in this country. Uh, and Larry, it has to be extremely unsettling uh, to see what the Supreme Court continues to do. Uh, when it comes to these voting cases. Sorry, Roland, I'm having trouble hearing you. Uh, can you hear me now? A little bit, yeah, it's a little bit better. I said um, it has to be unsettling uh, to see the Supreme Court continue uh, the path they're on when it comes to protecting the right to vote in this country. Yeah, it, it, look, I, I think the lesson from today is we're not gonna be able to count on the courts uh, to protect the right to vote. Uh, and um, it's a big reason why, you know, there, there are two uh, big voting rights bills in Congress right now. Uh, you have uh, S-1 for the People Act uh, and um, and uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act um, that would uh, both set minimum standards nationally um, so that states have less uh, room to uh, to suppress the vote uh, and would also give the Department of Justice, the, the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, um, more of a role in, uh, in saying whether or not states can move forward uh, with, with uh, voter suppression laws. Uh, and it, it, the, today's decision makes it all the more clear uh, that it's imperative uh, that Congress take the lead here uh, and, and move to protect voting rights. We're, we're not going to be able to count on the Supreme Court to step in in the future. And the, th and the thing here, uh, the, the thing here uh, that we have to understand, Lawrence, is that by having that six vote, uh, I mean, look, even if one of those justices decides to, uh, to step in, it's going to be 5-4. Uh, and, 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 and we see Alito staunchly, staunch. Look, Clarence Thomas has said he wants to get rid of the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> okay, these conservatives, they have they have despised the Voting Rights Act uh, since 1965. And then to hear Republicans say, oh, if, if Democrats keep doing this, it's going to hurt us from elected Republicans. They, they basically put it in their lawsuit. Hey, we need to be able to essentially cheat in order to compete. Lawrence, did you hear me? Yeah, look, I, I mean, uh, th this is why I say um, 
the, the, the court made clear today, it's, you know, the court traditionally, historically, at least in the recent past, and I should say, actually, if you, if you look way back, the court, of course, has not been a friend to voting rights or to civil rights. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of Americans got used to in the past uh, 30, 40 years uh, the, that the Supreme Court's going to step in uh, and make sure that there, uh, that there can't be um, uh, the kind of blatant uh, voter suppression laws that we're starting to see passed around the country, um, particularly this year. Uh, and um, they're, they're not going to be there anymore. With this, there's a six to three majority now. Uh, that is fairly hostile um, to to voting rights. Uh, and, um, you know, while certainly we should be able to continue to go to the courts um, to fight for our rights, uh, Congress is, and, and by the way, this even this Supreme Court has recognized this, Congress is going to be the backstop um, to ensure uh, that uh, all Americans have the right to uh, vote in federal elections. So, uh, I, I, at the end of the day, this is very frustrating. On the other hand, um, you know, we had 50 Democratic senators uh, vote to proceed on For the People Act. It was filibustered. Um, I think we're going to see similar numbers, 50, 51 senators say that they're in favor of uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which is also very important. Uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have to see whether or not the Democrats decide that they're going to get rid of the filibuster to pass these two pieces of legislation because they're not going to be able to rely on the courts to save them going forward. Reese Colbert, I want to bring you in. Reese, can you hear me? Reese, can you hear me? Couldn't hear you, Reese. You're on mute. Uh, Reese, I can't hear you. She was on mute uh, for a minute, Rob. Let's see now. Okay, can you guys? Yes. There we go. Now we got you, Reese. All right. We got you. Uh, for all of the people, Reese, who keep with we this crap of 2016 and 2020 about oh, when it comes to voting, understand they better understand what's going on here. Republican strategy is to try to control who votes at every level because they understand the demographics are changing and it's not in their favor. And the Supreme Court has just said y'all can make it harder to keep to, uh, for folks from voting. Absolutely. And, and here's what's so troubling to me is what this Supreme Court has basically told the Republican legislatures is you have free reign to implement whatever kind of restrictive voting measures. And they understand that the Congress is unlikely to pass any kind of voting reforms. And what's really troubling and scary about this is going back to this whole January 6th commission and the big lie about the election. Republicans are using the Republican uh, talking points about the election being stolen and about this, this, this fraud claim of voter fraud to implement these these uh, restrictions and there there's really nothing to stop them at this point I mean I think that it's positive that President Joe Biden is putting more and more people on the federal court so at least there might be some backstop on the lower courts before it gets to the Supreme Court but if it gets to the Supreme Court then it's game over for voting rights and so the Repub the Democrats have to do something. I don't know what they can do. I know people are tired of saying do stuff to Democrats, but what other choice do they have? On the other hand, I think though, what is really important to understand is we have time to prepare for these voter suppression tactics. And I think that these voter suppression 
tactics really backfired big time for Republicans in 2020. Like, for instance, they discouraged people, the Republicans, from voting for absentee ballot. And typically Republicans have large numbers for absentee voting. And that made the difference in uh, Georgia when those absentee ballots came in those black areas and Biden and Harris pulled out the victory in Georgia. It made the difference as well when it came to the Senate races down there in Georgia. And so the more that the Republicans attack the sanctity of the vote, the more they're actually suppressing their base as well as the Democratic base. As long as the Democrats can somewhat counter it by educating voters, by making sure that they are fighting back as much as they can in the courts. And if they can in Congress, I think Democrats will will understand that they have to work that much harder to vote. The problem or the, the most big, the biggest imperative that faces the Democrats, in addition to trying to get some voting rights passed, is giving people a reason to turn out in 2022. If you can get your base energized, they will turn out and they will win. And that's what 2020 showed, irrespective of what the Republicans try to pull. Uh, Greg, I want to read this. Can you hear me, Greg? Yes, sir. Uh, just so folks, I'm having, I'm still having some, some computer issues over here. So folks, I, I apologize. Uh, but uh, at least you'll hear me. We'll figure out what's going on with my video. Uh, as I say, we're moving to new office space, and so we're using StreamYard completely, and it is not uh, going exactly how it's supposed to go. Uh, but you can at least, um, uh, you can at least uh, hear me. Uh, this is the statement that Kristen Sinema. One of two senators from Arizona actually, actually announced today. This was her response to the Supreme Court decision, Greg. The right to vote, faith, the right to vote, faith in the integrity of our electoral process and trust in elected officials are critical to the health and vitality of our democracy. Today's ruling will hurt Arizonians' ability to make their voices heard at the ballot box. Congress must come together to strengthen the Voting Rights Act and protect every American's right to vote by passing common sense legislation including the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which I am proud to co-sponsor. Greg, the reason this is a bullshit statement, it's real <laughs> simple here. If she and Senator Joe Manchin would actually end the filibuster, they can pass the For the People Act, they can pass, they can pass the John Lewis Act to stop a lot of this. And so I'm, so, I'm sorry, this statement isn't worth me scraping doo-doo off of my shoe. <laughs> Roland, I, I think... You know, it's difficult for us to see a thing up close in, in the light of history and momentum. And I think, Reese, what you just said makes so much sense. The solution to this doesn't lie in the present or the future. The solution lies in the past. So when you look at citizenship education, like what Seth McCartan did in South Carolina and the whole idea of preparing people. See, Sam Alito, what they didn't do in today in today's opinion, what Alito didn't say is that the Voting Rights Act is garbage. They can't vote that far yet. So what they what he said is, hey, listen, it's easier to vote now than it was 20 or 30 years ago when you had to show up on election day and all this kind of thing. And, and as Kagan says in the dissent, but really what they're after, this out of precinct argument that if you are not in the right precinct and you vote, even your vote for president, vice president, and here's where cinema comes in, U.S. Senate, which doesn't rely on being in a particular uh, precinct, gets thrown out. Kristen Sinema's statement in that context makes a lot of sense. It, it, it may not be BS. Why? Because you know who gets harmed today? Kristen Sinema. So inch by inch, we're inching toward a confrontation. And what we have to understand, like you just said, Reese, 
We have to get our voters out. We have to get our voters educated. We got to make sure you know where to go or take advantage of those weeks of early voting, which is what Alito is hanging his hat on. You have to show up. If you don't get an early vote, there are many different ways you can do this. Finally, finally, and here's where it's very interesting. Neither the For the People Act or the John Lewis Act has language, and the John Lewis Act is, as you, as you say, Mark, specifically targeted at the Voting Rights Act, reestablishing preclearance, changing that formula, making it uh, larger. But neither of those pieces of legislation address what these state legislatures are trying to do. And remind, remember, the Georgia case is now going to work its way through the federal courts, which is take away local control of elections and move it into the state legislatures so that even if you outvote somebody, they can put themselves in a position to steal the election anyway or overturn it at the state level. This battle is far from over. I'm really encouraged in many ways. And the solution to this looks like what we did in the 1960s and 70s, which is you get your people registered, you find out where they are, and then you press and you destroy this by overwhelming them in their capacity to steal with people who know exactly where to vote or know exactly what strategy to pursue and then go out and do it. And uh, Lawrence, the thing that we're seeing here when we talk about how you must prepare for people who don't understand the shenanigans in Arizona, the Republican Party in Arizona is so sick and demented that they have stripped the authority over the elections from the Secretary of State giving it to the Republican Attorney General until January 1 of 2023 when the term of the democratically elected Secretary of State ends. That's the kind of heinous actions they are taking to in order to, yes, in my language, steal elections. Yeah, that that provision in uh, in Arizona is, is crazy. Basically, they're saying that the uh, the, the attorney general is the only one that can defend uh, actions, which the secretary has done before when there, there are lawsuits that are brought against around elections. And, and as you said, it's um, it's only for the period of time that the Democratic secretary is in office. Uh, so it's pretty blatant um, uh, what they're doing there. And I do think that that is likely to end up, uh, by the way, in court. We'll see what the courts uh, do with it. But uh, I, I think there's you know, even with where the courts are right now, I think there's a pretty, in that case, there's a, a pretty good claim to be brought that that is um, not constitutional. Uh, but I do think more broadly, there is this issue of, um, uh, you know, tr trying to change the rules in whatever way possible uh, to preserve power. And that's very dangerous for our democracy. Uh, it, it, it's true, um, uh, you know, you can't deal with everything through federal legislation. Uh, but the more we can do uh, to create some kind of basic standards is really important. I totally agree uh, with every, what everybody is saying here. At the end of the day, what this comes down to is a show of force at the ballot box uh, and, and a repudiation uh, of these kinds of tactics. And the Washington Post had a poll today that I think is very telling uh, that huge majorities of the country um, think access to the polls is uh, more important um, than the Republican line about uh, beating back fraud. So I, I, the, the other thing I'm hopeful is that we get the message out to people about what's really happening here, uh, and that motivates people to get to the ballot box and push back. Mm -hmm. um, I, do want, I do want to get uh, your thoughts, uh, Lawrence, on what the hell is going on in New York uh, with the mayoral election. Uh, you were about to discuss that. I want to talk about that. I mean, seriously, uh, can we 
Do we know how to count? Yeah, I got to say, um, the New York City Board of Elections uh, has had problems for a long time. It's it's a little bit, um, it's a unique situation in New York. The structure basically means the board is unaccountable to anybody. Um, and, and the result has been, you know, election after election, they're major problems. So in this one, of course, they didn't know how to count. They, they ran test ballots and they included those in the, in the totals. And so they added 135,000 ballots when they shouldn't have. Uh, but, you know, in 2020, anybody who lives in New York remembers they finally got early voting in New York City and there were massive lines because they weren't prepared for it. Uh, we had huge numbers of uh, mail ballots rejected. Um, the board, the Board of Elections in New York City, there are 10 members on the board. They're, they're appointed by uh, political party bosses in five different boroughs. Um, so nobody's really accountable to anybody. The city funds them, but the, but but they're governed by state law, um, and they they just they, there needs to be a change in the structure there. The, the entire board needs to be reformed. And I think one of the problems that we've had in New York is that a lot of politicians have said, "Well, at the end of the day, who's really hurt by this?" And I think what we're seeing right now is when you have something like this happen in New York City, it's the media capital of the country. It gets massive attention. Uh, and it, of course, it hurts the voters in New York City, but frankly, um, it, it hurts everybody in the country because it gives fodder to, to people like um, Donald Trump uh, and, and a lot of his uh, other supporters who are looking to create confusion, um, sow doubt about elections generally, and they're using this as an example for that. Uh, and, um, you know, I think New York is is... Uh, unique and in a bad way in terms of election administration. It doesn't mean anything. Of course, they caught the problem uh, very quickly and we have paper ballots so we can always go back, but those are details. The big message um, that, that somebody like Donald Trump now gets to say is, oh, we can't trust elections. That's their goal. Right. Uh, and that's very dangerous. Right. Absolutely there. And that to me, I think an issue. And so I dare say this here, I, this is where the folks said black voters matter in other places. This is where they need to be protesting in New York City, because this is where Democrats need to be called out for their shenanigans in New York, uh, because they've had some of the most ridiculous voting laws in that state. I don't care if they're Democrat. I don't care if they say, hey, it's us keep winning. No, the voting laws in New York City and New York State suck and they need to be put on put on blast just like georgia and alabama and mississippi and texas and tennessee and florida and everywhere else that Reese has to happen absolutely i mean if i'm not mistaken i think new york just recently got early voting um i could be wrong about that but i I'm, I'm sorry did somebody say something no, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so I mean, they still have pretty archaic voting laws. Um, and I think part of the problem here, though, we have to be honest, is our appetite for incident results. And with ranked cho choice voting, that's just not going to happen. It's a very complicated process. There are a lot of ballots to count. It's very intricate in terms of different rankings and then ballots falling off, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that people do need to kind of cool it a little bit and wait for the votes to be counted. That was the one of the things that happened in the 2020 election. Count all the votes. I mean, 
Donald Trump said that because he thought he was going to win. And then we said that because we thought we were going to win. We did win our side one. But I think that, you know, it does, uh, to, to everybody's point, it definitely does um, engender skepticism and cynicism about the, the process. Even when you catch errors, it still makes it seem like something funny is afoot. But the one other thing I did want to talk about, too, a little bit is about the um, Andrew Yang and uh, a Garcia alliance. And I think we saw that where uh, it's head in terms of uh, Garcia overtaking Maya Wiley for temp second place, at least for now, there's still 120 something thousand ballots that need to be counted. And so I think that in addition to needing to um, understand the, the process better, a lot of ballots did not contain full rankings. So some people chose not to rank Adams or Wiley or Garcia or whoever else. So there's that, that goes to voter education or maybe just voter preferences. It's a little bit of both. But I also think it goes to strategy. The Yang-Garcia alliance emerged towards the end and board of elections everywhere to, who, who moved towards this thing. And the one more thing I will say is that um, typically it's, it's almost always the case that the person who finishes first without ranked choice voter voting is a person that ultimately wins. That may not be the case here in New York because of that alliance and other factors, but more than likely, Eric Adams will be the next mayor if, as statistics have shown, um, our next uh, Democratic mayoral candidate, if, as statistics have shown, ranked choice voting does not alter the uh, the outcome of um, of the primary preferences from the very first round. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The reality is this, he, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is, and, and Lawrence, your final comment before I let you go, uh, then I'm, then I'm going to go to you, Greg, I'm going to bring in Matthew Dowd. Bottom line is this here, uh, Lawrence, doesn't matter if it's ranked choice. If you do not reform the system, what, 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 what Democrats in New York are doing, they are allowing Republicans to have a talking point saying, see what happens when they run elections. This is not hard. It's not hard to know how to properly count. The same, we saw the same mess with the Democratic, Iowa Democratic Party in the primary last year. And so fix your, damn voting, fix your damn voting laws, get it done. And again, Democrats, have the guts to call out your own party in New York City and New York State, Lawrence. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is like, this is something that uh, people have been calling for, for New York City to, to, for, to fix that board of elections. Uh, for decades now, and uh, Democrats control the state legislature now completely. If they want to do it, they can do it. They can fix this. Uh, and and you know, so far they're making the right noises, but so, they've made the right noises before, and somehow every year they fail to fix it. So uh, I'm hopeful that this is just such a this was just such a disaster, uh, and people realize what the stakes are now uh, that they really do finally. Uh, reform that system because you know the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter what your laws are uh, if you have really bad administration it's gonna it's gonna disenfranchise voters and it's gonna cause doubt and that's what we've, we've got in New York City right now unfortunately that's right all right Lawrence we certainly appreciate it thank you so very much sir thanks for having me all right then uh, I want to bring in right now uh, first of all while we bring in Matthew Dow Greg Carr uh, again, this is on, on what's happening in New York. It's a huge mess. And uh, as a matter of fact, when the, show, when the show's over, I'm going to text Latasha Brown and Cliff Albright and say there needs to be an activation in New York City, New York State, putting pressure on them because this makes no sense. If there, if, if there, are, if there are places that are making it harder for people to vote, and New York State is one of those places, those laws need to be changed. Pressure needs to be brought to bear, Greg. 
Absolutely. And it has to be a full spectrum strategy. You know, one of the things I respect about Sam Alito is he's a true racist. He's a true white nationalist. But he also understands uh, he's also very condescending. So it's almost like you Negroes got to be smart enough to outsmart me. And so what you saw today in today's Supreme Court case, uh, it isn't like Gamillion versus Lightfoot, which was the Tuskegee case out of 1960, where they used the, the, the 15th Amendment to say y'all drew these district lines to exclude every black voter in Tuskegee, which is almost damn near impossible. But it wasn't a case like that. This case was about him saying there are many different ways to vote. So you really aren't being harmed in any any law is is an inconvenience of uh, one of the time to other in New York City. Yes, the election laws are Byzantine. Yes. Uh, as Lawrence said, the administration, the administration of them is problematic. And yes, we must organize and push back and change that. In the meantime. This is their inaugural voyage through ranked choice voting, which I support. I think that's a good idea. There are 120 plus thousand ballots still out absentee. And that's not even counting the provisionals and a possible re-canvas. 40,000 of those ballots are in Manhattan. Another 35,000 are in Queens. And many of those precincts in Manhattan favor Garcia. So what Reese said is very true. Yang and Garcia in this kind of virgin journey to in, in ranked voting teamed up in a way as we see subsequent elections go, people are going to think differently and maybe use these alliances. I'm not sure Garcia doesn't overtake Adams based on where the outstanding ballot is, which leads me to the final and, and most important point. While we are fighting in the courts, while we are fighting in the legislatures, you register to vote, everybody. You organize. And this is one of the things Cliff and Latasha are doing. You're going around the corner, uh, country, you're getting people together. We have to pursue a multi-platform strategy. So, mm -hmm. I, I, and you're right, Reese. you're absolutely right. We all want immediate results. It, it's ugly in New York, but I think it's going to work out ultimately and everybody just needs to calm down. I'm much more concerned about Maya Wiley losing in a way because of exactly what you said. And we're going to find that out probably to the middle of the month. Yeah. All right. Uh, so hold tight one second. Uh, we're still trying to figure out the technical issues on my side. I'm going to go to a commercial break. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk with Matthew Dowd, a uh, longtime uh, Republican strategist who now says in order to save America, we must elect Democrats. That's next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. When you study the music, yeah. you get black history by default. And so no, no other craft could carry as many words as rap music. I try to intertwine that and make that create the, whatever I'm supposed to send out to the universe. A rapper, it, you know, for the longest period of time had gone through phases. I love the word. I hate, I hate what it's become, you know, and in, in to this generation, the way they visualize it. It's narrative kind of like has gotten away and spun away from, I guess, the ascension of black people. I'm proud of the officers I worked with on January 6th. They fought extremely hard. Our worst nightmare really come true, uh, an attack on American democracy uh, right here in the nation's capital. I experienced the most brutal, uh, savage, hand-to-hand -hand combat of my entire life. I received chemical burns to my face that still have not healed to this day. I just remember people still swinging metal poles at us and they were pushing and shoving. They were spraying us with, uh, you know, bear mace and pepper spray. They were all shouting at us, calling us traitors. It's been very difficult seeing elected officials 
and other individuals whitewash the events of that day or, or downplay what happened. As an American and as an Army veteran, it's sad to see us attacked by our fellow citizens. <sighs> Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertising. Black women have always been essential. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. how are you going to pay us like that? And it's not just the, the salary. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a whole number of issues that have to support us as women. Yeah. But that's what we deserve. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have to beg anybody for that. And I think that we are trying to do our best as a generation to honor the fact we didn't come here alone and we didn't come here by accident. I always say every generation has to define for itself yeah. what it means to move the needle forward. Mm -hmm. So this is Roger Bob. I got a message for Roland Mascot. Oh, I'm sorry, Ascot Martin. Buddy, you're supposed to be hooking me up with some of these mascots. I'm sorry, ascots that you claim to wear. Where's mine, buddy? Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. I'm Kirsten Cinema. I found the time to train and run the Boston Marathon. I think it'll be the most emotional run of my entire life. I found the time to train and complete the Ironman competition in New Zealand. And almost a dozen other races. And I had plenty of time to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. But I just couldn't find the time to come to Washington, do my job, and vote for the January 6th commission to investigate the domestic terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol. Kirsten Cinema. Bad for Arizona, bad for America. Let's get a real Democratic senator in Arizona. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm gonna take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they did these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look 
So there you go. So uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these Shibori pocket squares, we have them in 47 different colors. All you got to do is go to RollingThisMartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So it's RollingThisMartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who is a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, welcome back. So we are having a lot of technical issues here, so I had to switch cameras. I'm using a camera on a laptop. I hate this camera, but I'm working it all out, but it's all good. Uh, my next guest, uh, he has a longtime uh, political analyst. You've seen him on ABC, also has worked in Republican politics. Uh, he has been one of the most vocal critics of what we have been seeing across this country uh, with Republicans uh, in terms of uh, the, the, you know, the, dealing with Donald Trump, laws being passed, but especially, especially we talk about what has happened uh, with voting. If you look at Matthew Dow's Twitter feed, uh, you will see that he has been uh, quite vocal uh, speaking out against what, he's, what he is seeing as uh, folks really, really uh, hurting democracy uh, in this country. There's a book coming out uh, in uh, September. Uh, the book is called Revelations on the River, Being a Prophet for Your Own Path. Matthew Dow joins us right now on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Matthew, uh, glad to have you. Um, first and foremost, today's Supreme Court decision. We see the Manhattan DA's office indicting the Trump organization. Republican Party is still just loving them some Donald Trump. And, and you just made it clear that in order for this nation to move forward, Republicans cannot be in power. Uh, well, thank you for having me, Roland, a long time, time fan, uh, fan and friend of yours. Um, I, I think we're at that point. Um, and with the Republican Party no longer is a Democratic Party, um, a party of democracy. So there's two entities today. One believes in democracy. We may disagree with some issues, but they actually believe in democracy. And another political party that does not believe in democracy anymore. And I think the idea that you can say, I'm going to vote for some Republicans because they're not as bad as Donald Trump actually enables the system that is allowing what's going on in state after state after state, especially here in Texas, where I am, which they're about to go into a special session and even put more impediments and restrictions and ability to nullify elections in place. So in my view, the moment today, it's a four alarm fire and uh, we can't argue about, about what landscape we should see or how we can make bedrooms. We got to put, put out the fire, fire and the and only way, way to put out the fire, fire is, is to hire a Democratic fireman and fire women. women. And let's, and let's do, do that. that. And it's going to take, take a couple elections. elections. In my, In my view, the, the only way, way the Republicans will change and come back from this place, place they are is to suffer devastating losses in a series of elections. And so that's where I am. You said something that I think is really important when you said, uh, look, 
They are going to support him regardless. And, and, and you see that. I, like I saw Eric Erickson and Ari Fleischer and, uh, and Geraldo Rivera and all Jack Nicholas and all these people are like, yeah, despite this, I still supporting Trump you know, for another four years. And you're sitting there going, do you, so y'all just completely just oblivious to what the hell's going on here? And James Baker did this big interview, I think, with a New Yorker where he talked about, look, I'm a Republican and it doesn't matter. They, I keep telling people, this is about power. This is about power. That's all their focus is, power. Well, well it, it's, it's about, about power, and it seems to be about Donald Trump has shown them the downhill slide, and they're running downhill as fast as they can to get to the bottom. And to me, Donald Trump could disappear from the planet and tomorrow, and, and we're, we're in just as bad or maybe even, even worse situation than we, 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 than we, we were before, before the November, November election. election. Yes. Because nearly, nearly every single Republican has adopted, has adopted this strategy across the country, country at this, this point, point in time. time. So it's, it's not, not fundamentally about Donald Trump, and, and you know, and I've, I've been, been very critical of him, him for five, five years, four and a half years. years. It's, it's about, about the Republican Party, party and who they are today. today. And, and again, again, the only way to fix this problem in today's democracy, which is very critical, is to remove him from office. And when we talk about removed from office and, and we spend a lot of time trying to walk people through this whole deal and I, I have people Matthew who will say Roland you're shilling uh, you're shilling for Democrats no what I'm doing is I'm walking you through saying this is what's going to happen when the folks um, when the folks uh, if they are in power we see what happened when Mitch McConnell yes stole that Supreme Court seat they knew what was going on. They knew the cases that were coming down. They knew that if there was a five to four progressive slash liberal majority on the Supreme Court, that fundamentally alters this country. And they were going to do whatever is necessary. That's why. And look, the Obama White House, Obama was pissed off at me because I said, you need to appoint a black woman. You need to make a historic appointment, ratchet up the political pressure because this is high stakes. No, he wanted to play highbrow. He points Merrick Garland. I said, man, ain't nobody fighting for another white guy on the Supreme Court. Like it or not, that's just fact. And so I think Democrats have played softball. They've sat here and, well, like even right now, this crap with Manchin and Cinema. look, the other side, they're playing hardball. They literally are saying, we're going to use every ounce of power we have on the state level and you got two Democrats in the Senate who are saying, no, but if we can get bipartisan and we all can just work together. And, and I'm like, what, what world are y'all living in? Because it's not quite the one I think we're living in. Uh, well, I couldn't agree with you more. And, I, and as you know, I've, I mean, I think the idea of sticking with the filibuster in the midst of an assault on democracy and you're saying that the filibuster is more important than democracy is just ludicrous. And the idea, I'm a huge believer of bipartisanship coming together and doing that, it's impossible today to do that. It's bipartisanship is like a relationship. And if the person you're in a relationship is lying to you all the time, doesn't share your same values and you can't trust, you can't have a relationship and you can't have bipartisanship with, a, with another entity that does not believe in the same values that you do. And so my, I've criticized Senator Sinema, I've criticized Senator Manchin because you have to put a priority on this. And the priority should be democracy, justice, and the truth. And if something, some rule, some long tradition, which we both know has a tradition that's kept people from getting voting rights, that's the tradition of the filibuster. If those get in the way of a higher priority, which is the truth, justice, and democracy, you need to let go of those. I've been critical of the Democrats in this moment because I don't think, 
I don't think they've raised enough alarm and fought this enough fiercely and fastly enough in order to combat this. There many Democrats are still acting like this is the times of 25 years ago when you can sit there and have a debate in a subcommittee meeting. This is the most important issue of our time. We can have all the infrastructure we want. We can have we can have all kinds of tax questions and all that. But if we lose our democracy, none of that matters. First, sorry about that. I'm going to bring in Amisha uh, Cross, who joins us right now, Democratic Strategies. We still have Reese Colbert, Greg Carr, um, and, and Amisha. Uh, a question for Matthew, but also address the issue of trying to get the Democrat strategists and political operatives and the politicians to understand that what is happening right now is literally about the next 50 to 100 years. That's what this is about right now. Uh, Amisha, you're on mute. Absolutely. Absolutely. I said, thanks, thanks for being, for being here, Matthew. here, Matthew. My question, My question is, is around, around honestly, honestly setting this, setting this, setting this, setting this state, because, because coming out coming down, down from the Supreme, Supreme Court decision today, today we, we know that the tracks of the voting rights forward is the road less traveled, and one that looks like Republicans are winning, and they're getting a huge assist from the courts. What, what is, is next, next on that, on that frontier, frontier and what can Democrats, Democrats do because, because it seems, seems like they're, they're so afraid to push go in, in, in the filibuster and that's, and that's the only way to move forward with the right as well as with the people, people at. at. So, so to me, first we have to call this out as strongly and as quickly as we possibly can and I think the pressure on the the Biden administration do whatever they can possible to prevent these things from happening. Obviously, we can't control what the Supreme Court does at this moment, and they're going to do whatever they're going to do, which they obviously completely done the, the Civil Rights Act in 1965, that, that, that many, many people's blood brought us, and now it's basically gone in this moment. To me, the fundamental way this is going to be fixed is people are going to have to overcome the impediments in 2022 and vote in overwhelming numbers in order for this not to happen. And my biggest fear is the impediments are awful, the restrictions are awful. My biggest fear is the level of nullification they want to put in elections. So even if people overcome the impediments and the restrictions and do everything possible and vote, they are trying to pass laws that allow elections to be nullified. And that to me is the scariest, most autocratic thing that's getting, that's getting discussed today. All right, uh, Reese Colbert. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Um, my, my, my question my for you is this. Listen, we've seen the no, quote-unquote never-Trump Republicans who have kind of formed this you know, temporary alliance with the Democratic Party. But I think, as you pointed out, the Republican Party hasn't pivoted away from Trumpism. In fact, it's swallowed whole by Trumpism. How much longer do you think this never Trump Republicanism is going to last? And why should Democrats kind of trust the never Trump Republican to truly be an ally, at least for the next two years, if not the next four years? So I, I do my own. Um, uh, I try to put pressure. I know a lot of the, uh, the never Trump Republicans. I know a lot of them. I was friends with a lot of them. I've talked to a lot of them and I've tried to convince them that the only vehicle to fix this problem right now is not to try to redo the Republican Party, but is to go all in with the Democratic Party, remove the Republicans from office, and then maybe at some point they'll fix themselves in this. 
I am a firm believer though, that we, that we have to try to bring in every possible ally in this moment as we can, as we, as we can, we might've disagreed them on certain things and we may even not trust them completely in this moment. But I know we fought many wars where we had allies that we didn't completely trust, but in order to remove a problem and the world war II is a perfect example of this. We had allies that we didn't necessarily, you know, agree with or want, but I, so I think we have to do this in a concerted effort, but I think many of people like me and others need to speak out and say, convince them that the democratic party right now is the only party of democracy in America. And if you really want to fix this problem today, not only for president and us Senate and Congress, you have to vote for Democrats, for governor, lieutenant governor, state senator, state rep, sheriff, county judge, county commissioner, everywhere down the down the line until this cancer is removed. Thank you. Roland, is that you going to me? Okay. <laughs> I think so. It may be rolling. Man. Can, uh, can you all hear me? We can hear you. We can hear you. Very good. Very good. Well, th thank, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Matthew, for joining us tonight. I have a quick question. Um, 50 years ago in a day in this country, 18 year olds couldn't vote. Here we are on the 50th anniversary of that 26th Amendment, which, of course, comes into being because enough people wanted it and organized. You know, you said something in the last few days I thought was very striking. You said, you know, the Democrats should go full born partisan and then they should use truth as their North Star. Hmm. We, we, we've seen worse odds than this before in the past. And you're absolutely right. I think a lot of us who are paying attention share your concern about nullification. But I think about Dr. King talking about interposition and nullification and realize that if you're using truth as your North Star, you can even overwhelm that. We can push this past even these machinations. But but when you said use truth as the North, North Star uh, to the Democratic Party, what, what did you mean by that? What I mean by that is the idea that just this constantly seeking for Republican friendliness in the midst of this, and we have to put a bipartisan face on it, we have to do this. I think we have to set a sort of, as I said, the truth is the North Star. And the truth is what happened on January 6th, why it happened and who was behind it. And I don't mean the four or 500 people that were arrested. I mean, elected officials that were behind it, that instigated and facilitated it. And so truth ought to be, it ought to be all our pursuit. It ought to be all our pursuit every day of our lives that we pursue truth, regardless of partisanship, regardless of where we are in things, regardless of our ideology. Truth ought to be the sort of uh, the sunset that we all head towards in this moment. And so we have to drop all the things that get in the way of truth and confront it. And I, I will I like to remind people that the 14th and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution uh, were passed in a purely partisan way. Because if we followed the same cinema uh, mansion mandate today, we would have not had a 14th and 15th amendment to the United States Constitution in our country. And so if partisanship is the only way to get to the truth and justice, use partisanship because bipartisanship is not the goal. The goal is truth. Wow, that's very powerful. Really very trying to ask people to read I mean, that's part of the problem. See, I, what, what, what you just said there, I think, speaks to what we're now dealing with. What we're dealing with is these people who are throwing out stuff. Yes, when they go, 
bipartisan, bipartisanship. Like, er, like every time a Democrat gets elected, the media goes crazy about bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. They don't give a damn about that. Republic Republicans don't care. Like Republicans will not appoint a Democrat to their cabinet. They're like, we're not doing that. We're gonna appoint mm-hmm. Republicans. That's the first thing Democrats. Are you gonna put any Republicans in your cabinet? I want one Democrat to say, hell no. <laughs> I mean, again, again, elections elections have consequences, and I agree with you. It would be great if there were 10 or 15 senators uh, who would support these bills. Sure, we saw with Juneteenth, okay, it was unanimous consent of the Senate side, but the reality is Juneteenth is a national holiday. It's not the same as voting rights. It's not the same as infrastructure. It's not the same as COVID relief. It's not the same uh, as these, these major bills. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think part of the deal here, Matthew, is that the Republican Party is what I call a right, far right, right party. The problem with the Democratic Party, it's actually too big of a tent, meaning you've got moderates, you've got conservatives, you've got progressives, you've got liberals, you got a so you got to satisfy a lot more constituencies on the Democratic side than you do on the Republican side. Well, I think that's true. And the Democratic Party for the last you know 50 years has been a much bigger more diverse tent than the republican party but the republican party has become a lot less diverse over the course of the last 20 years much less diverse over the last five years for sure much less diverse over the last five years in this process i mean i i think that everyone has to go back into the basics which is what are the fundamental values like let's all let go of the arguments over some specific policy that's on, you know, healthcare. Let's let go of those arguments for right now. Let's let go of the tax code arguments. Let, let's let go of all of those things just for now and say, what matters the most to us? Well, we, we, I mean, I reminded people the other day that 1933 to 1945 Germany, they had great infrastructure improvements and the economy was moving. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, they lost their democracy in the midst of it. So the, the idea that I think every day the Biden administration and every Democrat, every individual I try to do this ought to wake up every day and say, how can I help preserve democracy today? Last Tuesday, I went down to this town, small town in Hayes County in Texas and signed up to be a volunteer uh, deputy registrar with 35 other people, because I think everybody has to figure out what are the things we can do in this moment to help. And I'm going to do whatever I possibly can in Texas where I am to elect Democrats wherever I possibly can. And then I'm willing to have an argument four or five, seven, eight, ten years from now when when the Republican Party decides they're part of democracy. I can have an argument with them then. But today it's the only path forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that particular point, I think, uh, is, is a really critical one. And um, it is. And, and, and I say this to people and they, and they think I'm joking and I love these people comment on my Facebook page and YouTube channel when when I say folks if you you have to study the past meaning when you talk about the 13th 14th 15th amendment those reconstruction amendments because when you talk about that it was radical Republicans fighting Southern Democrats yeah and radical Republicans actually said damn it if they are not gonna support it ain't our problem we're going we're going straight ahead because they understood on the flip side those amendments took place in the aftermath of the Civil War. It wasn't. It was not 20 years later that the Great Compromise of 1877 happened. It was literally, it was literally 14 years Jim Crow laws were put into place. They understood 
that changes had to be made. Great Compromise happens in 1877 and then 1890. The Mississippi uh, said, oh, we need a constitutional convention. One black person invited Isaiah T. Montgomery. He then votes to strip black people of their right to vote. Not one black person elected statewide in Mississippi ever since then. And as an African-American, people say, well, why do you why do you why are you so harsh with Senator Tim Scott? Because I'm sorry, I can't accept a modern day Isaiah T. Montgomery voting to uh, not move forward with the For the People Act on the John Lewis Act. And yes, Matthew, it, it offended me seeing all those Republicans travel down to Selma with John Lewis for Selma 50th and having that regular ass field trip, taking photos. And I'm going, but you're going to come back the same way you went. I said, Congressman Lewis, I'm sorry. They can't come on the field trip because if that's going to be how they vote, to me, it's a photo op. And so, look, this, I am 52. I have 13 nieces and nephews. What we're fighting for today, what you're talking about, Matthew, what Greg and Reese and Amisha, what we're talking about is literally our children's children. And will they be boxed in under the weight of a minority party that doesn't represent the interests of America, but they hold the keys to the power? <laughs> well, I, you're absolutely right. And I will add the other thing to this. What, what is amazing to watch in this is the GOP could care less about their voters. They could care less about their voters. Actually, the GOP thinks their voters, the base voters, are a bunch of yahoos. And how do I know that? Because if somebody's willing to lie to you, tell you a bunch of conspiracy theories and not do anything that's going to benefit your life, they just take you for, they don't even care. And that I'm, I, I actually think a bunch of the Republicans get in a room and say, what crazy stuff can we dream up that they'll accept? And they oh, dream agree. Stuff, and then uh, they accept it. And if, so if I Fox think that, news goes, we'll champion it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. We have to drive a wedge, in my view, a wedge between the Republicans who hold office and their voters. And I have criticized the voters and I've done all of that. But it's fundamentally leadership demands truth. And if they're you're if you're an elected official not telling the truth and going to your point, all those Republicans that on one day voted for the Juneteenth holiday, which is obviously I'm in Texas, very important. And what happened in Galveston and, and all of that in the two years late from being freed as slaves. But to me, them voting like that and the next day turning around and voting against voting rights is akin to saying, I, I have black friends too. That's what that vote was akin to that saying that as you operate in Europe. I think we have to keep saying this. And part of the problem is the media. The media treats the two political parties as equal in standing in this country and they have to stop doing that well but that's and I, but i'll tell you but but part of that uh, greg uh, is because uh the media mainstream media is scared to death of being criticized they also don't want to call a thing a thing uh they don't want to sit here and check folks accordingly uh there's a reason a lot of these national media shows won't call me because look, I caught it like it is when I was on CNN. If I'm on ABC this week, I'm gonna sit here and say what it is because I'm not scared. And Greg, what I've been saying to Democrats, I said this directly to President Barack Obama's face. Man, stop going to the suburbs of Virginia and Ohio touting your Affordable Care Act. Go to the brokest, whitest, most conservative, sickest county in Mississippi, <laughs> Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, and say, I passed that bill for y'all because y'all are sick. Y'all need help. Y'all are broke. And y'all keep voting for this fool. So go ask your senator why they keep standing against you. Democrats, it's amazing how 
they they love talking specifically about black pain but they don't want to talk about white pain i told Senator bernie sanders to his face in his office greg man go talk to them broke ass white people well, well me rolling i mean you know again this is why i think that other decision this week that americans for prosperity foundation versus bonta case that supreme court case is very important rather than expand the electorate go back to the 1960s whether it be lyndon johnson whether it be a guy like everett dirksen who is a cat named joe williams an elder from Tallulah, louisiana he's an ancestor now a democrat his whole life but he said you know i respect a guy like dirksen and he that's you know from amicia's home state of illinois and didn't get ever get many black votes out of chicago but knew with the republicans in the minority in the 1960s that he wanted to be on the right side of history talking about trying to build democracy that's what you that's what you're talking about but what we've seen and again that americans for prosperity case of a piece with citizens united and everything else rather than trying to expand uh, uh, uh expand the electorate do matthew like what you're doing going to these small towns in texas and let me get down here people are now conceding the idea between voter apathy and voter suppression and that the electorate is a small pie and that money is going to control a great deal of this and that's why mass commercial media is very nearly worthless in this they conceded the idea of small d democracy and said let's fight over this shrinking piece by trying to influence enough to edge out this election and i wonder then if what is teetering on the brink is even the the, the rhetoric of small d democracy in this country we're not even going to try because if everybody who was eligible to vote registered to vote we wouldn't be having this conversation and, and matthew democrats gotta say hey white voters if you go to latinos and you want to talk about latinos and you want to go say women you want to say black well damn it you gotta say white if congressman tim ryan is gonna have to be that explicit if he wants to win the senate seat in Ohio and say, hey, white labor workers in Ohio, the Republican Party don't give a damn about y'all. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a thousand percent with you. I'm a thousand percent with you with everything that's been said by both y'all in this. It, it, is a, it is an election where we can't leave any neighborhood community untended to or untalked to in this. It's, it's the only way we can go forward. One of the things, Texas had an unprecedented turnout in the 2020 election. We ranked 49th in turnout in 2020 and we had more voters than ever turned out before, which means Texas is fundamentally not a red state, it's a non-voting state in this point in time, um, just like many other states that we see. But I think candidates have to stop with the millions and millions and millions of dollars that go to media consultants yes. and actually get in a pickup truck get in a pickup truck or get in whatever vehicle you have and go to every single place they possibly can, including white rural America, who actually has been hurt as much as anybody by the policies the Republicans have sponsored. Yes, yes. Yeah. Reese, uh, I, I wanna go to you on this with them and go to Misha. I mean, we you've been, let's just say, real raw on social media. Uh, that that's that's how you caught our attention. That's why comedian Jay Anthony Brown he said, uh, said on on Clay's uh, show. He said, "Boy, that's the most cussing woman with conviction I've ever heard." Uh, uh, Matthew, if you do not follow Black Women Views on Twitter, you need to trust me. If she put out a greatest hits uh, album, it would be 50 songs long. 
Uh, but Reese, what what we're talking about here is Democrats gotta get some guts. They gotta be. For instance, we have had, and I, this is right up your alley. We have seen at least six hit pieces against Vice President Kamala Harris uh, in, since they have been in the White House, and these folks ain't said a damn thing to Politico or the rest of these folks. Damn it, if you gonna swing, swing. Absolutely. You know how I feel about that, Chad. Oh, my God. Like, they just let Kamala Harris get dragged all day, every day. What is up with that? You have to get some fighting spirit. You cannot be above the fray. You cannot have this gravitas about you. Voters do not reward uh, being civil. They don't reward being diplomatic. They reward whoever gets to them first and has the most compelling message, whether that's Republicans uh, pulling, playing on their emotions. Right now, it's critical race theory. Before that, it was the immigrant caravan. Before that, it was radical Islamic terrorists. Republicans know how to set the narrative. They're setting the narrative on the border. Now, it's the border crisis. It's the Biden border crisis. You don't even talk about child separation anymore. And when it is, it's Biden Harris are still separating children. And so Republicans know, they always know how to set the narrative. And then you have the media that propose that that regurgitates the Republican narratives as well, we're, we're Democrats. What do you have to say about all these Republicans attacking you instead of them attacking the narratives or examining the narratives at all? And so we're, Democrats have to figure out that this is not a meritocracy in our democracy with a little d, because right now it's not much of a democracy. You don't get reward for passing the best legislation, for actually creating jobs. Democratic presidents have created millions more jobs and Republican presidents have consistently lost jobs, but yet Republicans win on the economy, right? When voters go and they the exit polls poll voters. And so Democrats have to figure out the messaging strategy before they get swallowed whole. And one thing I, I, I retweeted something yesterday, it was about the Equality Act and it was a fact sheet. And I see plenty of fact sheets come out of the White House. And I said, okay, fact sheets are great, but people don't click on links and they don't read more than 60 seconds. I've, I've written an article and it'll tell you it's a 20 minute read. And the statistics show that people spent on average 73 seconds reading a 22 minute article okay i can put a link on a tweet and i can see that two percent of the people will click through to the links so if i put a screenshot if i put a meme in that then i'm going to reach if i get a million impressions on that tweet a million people are going to see that meme they're going to see that visual and two percent of the people are going to click on the link to fact check whatever the hell it is that I put in that thing. So Democrats have to start realizing that you're not going to win if you don't attack the disinformation, the misinformation, the narratives. You can't just ignore them. You can't, uh, you can't, uh, you know, bat them aside. You have to attack them. You have to attack them fiercely, consistently, and start to create your own more compelling narratives. And I think to your point, Roland, that's where it is addressing white people as white people. Instead of just saying working class voters, say white working class voters. Mm. You know, you have to start addressing the, the elephant in the room and really speaking to people in a way that's going to resonate with them so that they do turn out and they vote for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. This this Matthew and, and look, there are a lot of people who are highly critical of the Lincoln Project. Uh, there are people who call it a grift operation. I've heard everything. Here's my whole deal. OK, y'all can call whatever you want to call it. That's fine. Here's what I do know. They are damn good at putting some ads together. <laughs> and what I said to Democrats, y'all should stop all that bitching and sit down and say, I need to go to school. I, I need to see. I need to go. Again, it's messaging. 
The Republican Party is all, and this is what, and, and Matthew, explain to the people who don't even understand your background about the political strategies piece. It's not about trying to convince 30 million people. It's about shifting half a percent or 1% or shifting 30,000 votes and looking here and here and here. That's the Republican strategy. They are excellent at messaging. To Reese's point, Democrats want to come out with white papers and a whole thesis <laughs> and the Republican party like, hit a bumper sticker, slap it on your car and go get the hell on down the road. And yep. so I'm like, Dems. And I've literally told Jamie Harrison, say, dog, go hire some folk and say, go sit with the Lincoln Project for a week to learn how to edit a damn video. Well, I, I, this, I was going to say this earlier. So my, and I've worked, I worked on Democratic campaigns before I did President Bush and Arnold Schwarzenegger's campaign. So I've seen it all. The biggest difference between Democrats and Republicans is this. Republicans understand more clearly and consistently that voting is about values. And Democrats think it's about policy points, right? <laughs> and people decide in their heart and their gut before it gets to their head. And Democrats think they're gonna get in people's head and it's gonna get to their heart. And that's not how people operate. You have to get to their gut and get to their heart on a values level. And I don't mean necessarily moral values. I don't mean a fundamental values level of like how people live their life on a day-to-day -day basis. Republicans consistently understand that better than Democratic campaigns. I have been through Democratic campaigns where they say, well, we have a 10 point plan on all of these issues and here's all the elements and here's all this and here's why logically people should vote this way. And the voters are like, well, yeah, whatever. That's not, that's not how I feel about it or that's not my, it doesn't represent my values in the way I look at this. And so Democrats have to start creating campaigns that are based fundamentally on the values that, that people connect with. And until they do that, they're gonna be in trouble in certain areas. And that's the biggest difference between Republicans and Democrats. Republic Democrats try to go to the head first, Republicans go to the gut. Amisha, and then my, Matthew's final point. Amisha, go ahead. No, I, I think that that was absolutely correct. We have to um, get tighter on messaging, but also react to people where they are. Democrats have a belief system that the intellectual level of their argument is going to be able to reach crowds and mass. And they also um, particularly target uh, diverse groups without having a full understanding of how to target uh, low-income white people. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, Roland. And part of that strategy, I think, is because both parties don't want to actually admit that low-income white people exist, even though they are such a large portion of the white population. It's, it's a frustrating thing because time and time again, at the state level, at the local level, and at the national level, Democrats who could be very strong candidates and run very strong campaigns consistently fail because they fail to that communications piece that we heard Reese talk about earlier. Um, I have too been in rooms. I have too led the PR strategy and been pushed back by leaders of state parties to say, okay, we want to have a 10 point analysis of environmental policy. Check that. No one's going to read it. No one is going to click it. No one cares. What we know strategically, and it exists across whether it's a political campaign, whether it's a social justice movement, regardless of what the movement or the action is, people's attention spans are small. The time frame that they mm -hmm. have to actually gain um, to actually gain broad understanding is even smaller. We're not trying to educate here. Throw that out the window. Education is not what the people are looking for. At the end of the day, you have to reach to you have to reach to what Matthew spoke about earlier. 
values, but you also have to reach to the things that they latch on to. When we talk about the economy, we know that matters to Americans, but not in terms of the dollars and cents, the here's how I take you there. What business do you want to bring in? Get to the root faster. And I think that Democrats have a very hard time doing that, not only with that, but also with healthcare, with education. We have to make sure that the messages are tightened up and go with the Republican plate. This is one thing Democrats can't steal from because Republicans have been in A plus and messaging, messaging for a very long time. And it's not because they're extremely strategic. It's because they understand the, the time span and the time frame of Americans when it comes to how they're going to latch on message. Very short, very quick. You have to be consistent. Republicans have been pushing the same message for the past 45, 50 years. Democrats try to change it up every few years in hopes that something will stick. It's not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ma Matthew, this is very, this is very simple. There are critical elections in 2022. If you're a Democrat, you better be hardcore understanding messaging right now. You better be going in there, putting the money in. And this is where, and, and, and I'll tell you, and, and I remember when Ambassador Andrew Young made this comment years ago when he said, he said there's too many smart ass white boys in these campaigns who don't listen. Hmm. Uh, they, they didn't listen in the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. Uh, a lot of them were not listening in 2020. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I can tell you right now, we had struggles even sitting here uh, trying to squeeze uh, political advertising money because the folks who are running the ad budgets, they wanna put all the money on TV. And I'm sitting here saying, boo, TV ain't gonna get you any votes. You know why? They're turning that stuff off. This is boots on the ground. This is mm -hmm. hardcore boots on the ground. Sherry Beasley lost the Supreme Court justice position in North Carolina by 400 votes you know mm. why because democrats did not go to rural north carolina mm. they just figured hey we can get the black folks in charlotte and raleigh and durham mm -mm. you got to go to rural north carolina that's how warnock and osoff won in georgia now beasley is one of the candidates running for the united states senate are democrats going to get that are they actually putting the messaging in place right now are they sending trusted voices there talking to them what are your issues are they doing that if you're ohio you got to go, yes, to those rural places in Ohio, go look those broke ass white people in their eyes and say, <laughs> guess what? Y'all keep y'all voted for Trump and you didn't get a damn thing. His trade, his trade war screwed you. You got to be able to go to those broke ass farmers in Iowa and say, how many y'all filed bankruptcy because y'all were running behind Trump? You got to go to Wisconsin when Senator Ron Johnson is running and say, all you dairy farmers, how many of y'all now broke as hell because y'all were running behind Trump? And when he when he got out of there, he didn't give a damn about y'all filing for bankruptcy. You got to be clear as day uh, when it comes to this, because when we talk about democracy being uh, in, in peril, that is what we're seeing because the Republican Party is the party of mega donors. And they are laughing. They are laughing at all of these broke, uneducated white people who keep giving them their votes. So for every Republican who says black people, y'all uh, keep giving Democrats your vote. You ain't got nothing in return. Mm -mm. I could show you a lot of broke white people who ain't got nothing in return for voting for Republicans, Matthew. So on the final point, Roland, I completely agree with that. And I think Democrats, I think Democrats need to run candidates everywhere, even if places mm -hmm. they may lose. They need to run them everywhere. There you go. Everywhere. Don't everywhere. Roll red, up margins. red, purple, blue, run candidates everywhere, because even if you don't win now, you begin to crack into this and it may not be successful in 2022, but it may actually help turn out people for statewide races. Ren, 
run mm -hmm. candidates every single place in every single election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that hard. Matthew Dowd, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Put the book up again, please. Y'all, his book drops in September. Uh, you can do pre you do pre-orders now, Matthew? Yes, sir. Pre-order. Okay, you can pre-order the book. Uh, Revelations on the River, Being a Prophet for Your Own Path. And of course, he got some great blurbs there on the cover. George Stephanopoulos and Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, Matthew Dowd, always a pleasure. Look forward to having you back. My pleasure. Anytime, my friend. All right. Got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk to the former publicist for Bill Cosby. He has actually spoken in an interview with a radio station in Detroit. We'll discuss that next. We'll also talk about the indictments that dropped today against the Trump organization. You going to be going to jail. You and your thugs are going to jail. And y'all, that's just the doggone Manhattan DA. Letitia James, attorney general, she ain't dropped her indictments yet either. I just love it. It's, we'll be back on Roller Martin Unfiltered. I believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out Tiffany. I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why what happened in Minamar can't happen here. No reason. I mean, it, it should happen here. No reason. Right? That's right. America has crossed a line. The Republican Party believes in ending the American experiment, led by a man obsessed with power and money who will say and do anything to seize control again. This election was rigged. To punish those who oppose him. His followers don't just disagree with us. They've got something worse in mind. We know what national populism and authoritarianism lead to every time. That's what this is all about. That's why we will never compromise with this evil. We will never step back from the line because we believe in America. Are you in this fight or have they already won? George Floyd's death hopefully put another nail in the coffin of racism. You talk about awakening America, it led to a historic summer of, of protest. I hope our younger generation don't ever forget that nonviolence is soul force. Right? Stevens West from The Carmichael Show. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
All right, folks, the 2021 Essence Festival of Culture, Live Loud, Virtual Experience. You can watch EssenceStudios.com and Essence.com uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So they got programming taking place all, all of those days. So uh, you might want to go ahead and check that thing out. So look forward to that. Thank you very much for the partnership with Coca-Cola. All right, folks, um, Bill Cosby uh, last night spent his first night uh, out of prison in three years. Uh, and so uh, here we go. Sorry about that, y'all. Bill Cosby spent his first night out of prison in three years uh, after uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, released him on yesterday. That was a, a huge decision since shockwaves all across the country because uh, folks were not expecting that to actually happen. He gave an interview uh, with a radio station out of Detroit, his first actual interview. He didn't talk yesterday, but he gave an interview where he talked about being in jail. Uh, and people who couldn't afford lawyers and talked about the issues they were facing uh, in uh, the um, uh, in the uh, in, in the in the criminal justice system. And, and, and he talked about uh, what he went through. One of the folks, of course, uh, who was at his side, uh, one of the folks who was, of course, uh, standing with him uh, is my next guest. Uh, she joins us right now. Ebony Benson, a former publicist for Bill Cosby. Everybody glad to have you here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Um, it has been a whole lot of discussion and comments. A lot of people uh, feel as if what took place uh, by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court was wrong. But there are others who say, look, the law is the law. Uh, and that's what, how the justices rule. What do you make of all of this? You know, honestly, I feel this is a big win for Cosby. Um, he has fought so hard for his justice, for his freedom for so long. Um, there are many times that we interviewed even after the guilty verdict, um, expressing how he was going to continue on until um, his day came. And that day came. And I think it's wonderful. I'm happy that he is home with his family. Um, I'm also happy that he was able to share about his experience and what he saw. Um, there are a lot of people that are still in the system that don't have the resources that Bill Cosby has has in order to attain the lawyers beyond trial lawyers and acquiring um, appeal attorneys. So I'm very happy for him. So um, one of the things that um, this uh, case has uh, shown uh, is that, look, it, you can go through a particular trial. You can go through that and go, go, and go through an appeal system. Um, what is your response to people who say this is what happened when you have when you're rich, you're able uh, to cut these type of deals with district attorneys as opposed to somebody without means? I don't think um, Bill Cosby was able to cut any deal with an attorney. It was Bruce Castor's professional opinion that they didn't have sufficient evidence in order to try him. So I feel that they have to uphold what Bruce Castor said, which is why the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ultimately overturned the conviction. The, um, when you hear Bill Cosby say he was vindicated, but the reality is that wasn't the case because first of all, they did not, they, they did not uh, st state that the allegations made against him were untrue. Uh, what they said was that the deal that was cut uh, should have prevented even him being prosecuted uh, for these particular allegations. Moving forward, Andrew hey, Andrew Wyatt said that Bill Cobb is going to return to the stage. He has other plans going forward. What do you think life is going to be like for Bill Cosby, um, even because there are people who still are going to call him a rapist? People are going to call him a sexual assault. People are going to still be critical of venues where he performs. They're going to also go after them as well. And so uh, what do you expect that life is going to be like? 
I think that's definitely going to be um, an interesting road for him, even though Mr. Cosby has a strong mind and I know he believes wholeheartedly in his innocence. You do have to think about, like you said, those venues who are going to face backlash from hosting him um, and also any uh, support that could come from that. It, it, it's going to be a slippery slope, I think, to walk at first. But I think th as time goes on, it could become more um, acceptable for him. But I'm not really sure. I can't project that far into the future. I know right now he's just happy to be home. Um, how have you had to deal with people who have said, how dare you as a black woman uh, be a spokesperson, sp spokesperson for uh, a rapist? I'm quite sure that you've had those attacks <laughs> on you. Um, absolutely. Um, but I, I fire right back, you know, how dare you question me for having my own mind, you know, and being able to think independently for myself. When I became a part of the case, I stood within my own integrity. And I, I knew that once I walked into the courtroom and was able to see the evidence for myself and see what was happening to myself, I could make my own decision. And ultimately I did that. And I think we spoke about that before when I interviewed with you during um, either the first or second trial that I was able to decipher for myself what was factual and what wasn't. And I definitely felt like based on Bruce Castor's assessment, Cosby should have never faced trial. Uh, any uh, questions from my panelists? Amisha Cross, Reese Colbert, or Greg Carr for Ebony Benson. I guess my question is coming off of this, we know that it was such a, a high profile case and has people, particularly um, women, uh, who are from various generations who are commenting um, with the older generation kind of rallying around him in certain senses and the younger generation pushing back fully, reaching towards Me Too and saying that this was just unfair. This is a slap in the face to people who have been fighting to have their voices heard um, and, and, and not just, you know, looking towards this this case, but also looking at other cases. What do you think this what type of precedent does this type of situation set? And what would you say to those women who feel as though justice was just not served? You know, honestly, I, I, I can't speak directly to those women and I'm not really sure what precedent this is gonna, going to set. I just know that in the court of public opinion it's different versus the court of law. And I think in this situation, particularly the Supreme Court was able to see that just in the trial process itself, Cosby didn't receive um, his fair, a fair process. As for survivors, I think that people should keep fighting. Just as Cosby kept fighting, keep fighting. Just because something has happened, it doesn't mean that you can't keep going forward and keep push, pushing for your voice to be heard. Reese, you're great. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ebony, um, for being in this conversation, you know, something uh, Monique Presley, who I know, of course, you know, said uh, on this show uh, last night, I thought was very interesting and important the other day. She said, you know, take Bill Cosby out of this and put your son in or your father. And I would add or your daughter or your sister in terms of the, of the process. Um, how important is it for us to, if we can, hold out and hold distinct Bill Cosby, the person from the issue of uh, right to Fifth Amendment, excessive Fifth Amendment rights, uh, prosecutorial overreach, and how this Cosby lesson uh, perhaps should also be 
discussed as a lesson in criminal defense for anyone who finds themselves in a situation like this, particularly our people? That That's a really tough question. Um, I'm going to try to break apart a few of the things you touched on, which is when you consider it being someone you love that is going through this same process, you would want every stone turned over. You would want every every force you could have behind your criminal defense team to make sure that, you know, your process is just as fair as anybody else's. I don't think that we would ever be able well, I can't say that. It's hard for people to separate the celebrity from the man. And that's primarily because of our culture. We focus a lot on celebrities and um, people who have larger platforms. So I think it's, it's very tough for us to separate that. But if we could and look at it as if it was our brother, our father, our uncle, we would want that similar type of justice. Reese, any question for Ebony? No, I don't have anything to add. Okay. Ebony Benson, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. You guys have a good one. All right. Uh, I will ask uh, the panel this, um, the, the question I asked for her. Even though he is, even though Bill Cosby is free, uh, the reality is this is going to be associated with him for the rest of his life. Uh, and I don't think for a second that even if, um, as Andrew uh, Wyatt said, he's going to be returning to the stage, uh, I believe that uh, if this is going to, he will face protest. He will face, he will face people who say he shouldn't be out there. Um, but what do you make of, again, this, 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 this reaction that we have seen from black men, black women, from white men, white women, and others, uh, who, where you have folks who say, even I've heard, seen a lot of lawyers who say, hey, like it or not, the courts actually made a, a, a proper distinction and they say it wasn't because of money, it was because of the law. How, how do we reconcile that, Greg, when you have others who say the law doesn't work in our favor, but then here you have people who are saying, no, here the law was applied fairly. Roland, I'll be quite frank with you and I think I'm not alone in this. I suspect we're all in this mood one way or the other. It's deeply troubling. It's, you know, John Henry Clark, you say in some stories, it ain't no good guys. Mm. And, you know, I lived in Philly for 17 years. I, I never met Bill Cosby, but I know a lot of people who know him. Um, the idea that he would push up on people in casual places or ask somebody to come, you know, to his house, whatever. It's all known stuff. And that doesn't make it right. It makes it wrong. At the same time, when it was Meek Mill in the dock. Everybody jumped up and said, let's defend. I'm saying, did you hear the music? I'm of a certain age. You do what you want. Everybody do what they want. But there are too many things that are mixed in together at this point. And I, you know, to hear, here's the problem. First of all, Bill Cosby out of jail, Mumia Abu-Jamal is not. Bill Cosby out of jail and Leonard Peltier is not. And, you know, <laughs> Matula Shakur is not. Russell Maroon Schultz is not. So we got politi real political prisoners. Bill Cosby not a political prisoner. Hmm. And Quaaludes were not illegal. And Hugh Hefner's in the ground and had the Playboy Mansion where they doing half this business and still celebrate on TV. People watching Mad Men celebrating George Clooney and them trying to be like Frank Sinatra and them. John F. Kennedy ass all the way. You know what? The day where black people stand up and say, we got to protect black women is always a day 
I am going to be 100%. We got to protect black women, black children, black men. We got to protect black people. And then to look and see, who, oh, you're an ally? Yes, because that man, okay, but you're the same one who, when the 14-year-old boy whistled, then, you know, you want to string him up. So you got your husband and him and his friend came and killed him, threw him in the damn Tallahatchie River. You're not my ally. So I'm sitting here thinking about this. And at the same time, people say, see, Bill Cosby did him like they did Emmett Till. No, no, this is no. not the same thing. Mm. But what I'm saying is we are in the middle. It's almost like the nation of Islam used to say, we've been run amok, led astray, bamboozle, hoodwink. And we don't have enough sense to take a deep breath and understand that when a lawyer goes into a courtroom, I don't give a damn who it is. If the, the you know how many black men and black women are in jail because the DA reneged on a promise? Mm -hmm. Yesterday was a victory for everybody who can stand up and say, you made a promise, you gotta stick to it. But we can't get to that conversation because we are fixated on celebrities. And I think ultimately, I don't know whether the American Negro is gonna make it because what we've been showing over the last two days is all of our immaturity and like a bolt of lightning, the Cosby verdict revealed what has already always been there, which is our deteriorating, very American fascination with celebrity and hot takes and quick. And it's just a very sad situation for me. Mm. Amisha. I agree with that. I, I think that at the end of the day, what happened with Cosby was just another long iteration of the justice that seems to find its way for the rich and powerful that eludes everybody else. And the frustration I have with it is somebody who has been a victim of being drugged and sexually assaulted is that when I hear people talk about this, and I was on Sirius XM yesterday, when I hear people talk about this, particularly people who look like those of us on this panel, and they are victim blaming, or they want to shield um, someone who has admitted to not only dropping drugs, but using those drugs for illicit activities. Um, that's a problem. And I, I think that it, the fact that it's been glorified, glorified in hip hop for a very long time, the fact that misogyny and rape culture is a part of American culture and has been for a very long time only adds an extra layer to this. But mm -hmm. I, I think that we should look again to separate the, the man, Bill Cosby, from the guy who played in the TV show. Um, you can mm -hmm. be someone who has great talent and great art and has left their mark on the entertainment industry and still be a horrible member of society. And we've seen that time and time again. And that has nothing to do with skin color. We know there are a lot of white rapists out there as well. There are rapists of all different colors, creeds, and socioeconomic levels. But as a black woman looking at this and knowing that eight in 10 black girls under the age of 14 have been sexually molested or raped, to see something like this happen and to see a man get off. The problem I have with this is that it pushes victims into the shadows. It makes them feel as though them coming out and telling their stories doesn't matter. It makes them feel as though the courage that it takes to actually report something, watching a just a system that is supposed to be based on justice, let someone walk free. That's a problem. In, in a society where it was a large open secret that Bill Cosby was doing these things for decades, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you tell the victims. And I also don't know, thinking broadly, what you tell women who face sexual assault and sexual abuse every single day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Reese. Yeah, Amisha, I think you just really hit it out the park with that. And, um, you know, what I have to say is this. Bill Cosby's not America's dad. Bill Cosby's not our son. He's not our uncle. He's not our dad. He's not our brother. He's Bill Cosby. Okay. And what happened um, was a process victory 
as Dr. Carr pointed out, about you know um, prosecutors not reneging on a deal to not prosecute, about the right to not self-incriminate. That's a Fifth Amendment right. That's a process victory, and that's indisputably a process victory for the rights of people to not self-incriminate specifically. Is it a moral victory? I don't believe so, but I understand that some people who believe Bill Cosby over the word of 60 women who have accused him of sexual assault, to them, it is a moral victory. And to those who are a victim of sexual assault, who are triggered by it and who are traumatized by this, it's absolutely a miscarriage of justice. And so I think to Dr. Carr's point, there are two separate conversations. There's a process conversation. There's a technicalities, a legality, a criminal justice system a conversation about the way appeals court work, which is not a relitigation of the facts. It's not an exoneration of the case that was tried and convicted by a jury. It is simply a process uh, victory for Bill mm -hmm. Cosby. And perhaps we shall see if it's a victory for those who find themselves in situations where the prosecutor has gone back on their deal. And a lot of black people have found themselves in that position and um, they don't have the wealth and they don't have the ability to consistently uh, mm -hmm. try these cases and appeals. And then, you know, um, even Bill Cosby has recently, they've suggested that he might sue for wrongful imprisonment. I mean, most people don't have the kind of funds to, to go through this, these, these, this number of this amount of litigation, but I think people should be sensitive to the way that this is triggering to women and to men, because to be clear, not only women are not the only ones who are victims of sexual assault. And so I think that there's room for a nuanced conversation that takes into account um, everybody's opinions and everybody's feelings in a way that's respectful. And um, I, I'm trying to do that because I do understand that there is a sentimental connection that many people have with Bill, with Bill Cosby. And a lot of people do feel that he's innocent. And, you know, I'm not going to judge them for that feeling per se, but I think that regardless of where you stand with Bill Cosby, you should be able to um, have the maturity to, to, to be cognizant of how your words right. impact victims of sexual assault. Folks, I did not show this earlier. Ebony Benson had a book. Uh, go ahead and show that. The book is called To Kill a Legacy, The Bill Cosby Trials. That is the book uh, coming soon uh, from Ebony Benson, who served as a spokeswoman uh, for uh, Bill Cosby. All right, folks, uh, mm -hmm. you want to talk about the legal fight. Donald Trump and the Trump organization, they are embroiled in one today. Indictments were unsealed today, showing the CFO uh, for the Trump organization, uh, Alan Weiselberg, uh, he uh, indicted 15 counts of uh, folks. He turned himself in on charge. Is that unusual? No, that's how it works now. So we've been talking a lot over the last few days about how seeing your name on an indictment makes it real, makes it tangible. In handcuffs of the courtroom, he is charged with grand larceny. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, grand larceny in connection with failing to pay taxes on $1.7 million on fringe benefits from the company. Uh, the charges detail an alleged tax scheme, a tax evasion conspiracy spanning more than a decade, representing the most serious threat yet to the Trump organization. Uh, there's also uh, joining us right now as attorney are Charles Coleman. Charles, uh, in this particular indictment, they talk about uh, this unindicted co-conspirator uh, co number one. Don't name them, but I think we can guess who that is. Uh, you look through this. How significant is this for Donald Trump? Uh, and his sons and daughter and everyone involved in the Trump organization. 
Well, good evening, Roland. I think that before we start doing a dance of joy in terms of watching Donald Trump prepare for jail, we might want to pump the brakes on this. Prosecutors are reaching a little bit right now, and they're reaching because they want to try to put enough pressure on Weisselberg to see if they can get him to flip so that that unindicted co-conspirator can become an indicted co-conspirator. That, of course, being former President Donald Trump. Right now, they don't have enough, and they don't have enough, and that's exactly why he's not indicted, because Donald Trump has presumably put enough space between himself and the actual allegations here with a number of different defenses that he could allege around his actual criminal culpability or lack thereof in this instance. So I think it's important that viewers understand that as of right now, the idea of Donald Trump standing and facing his day in court and going to jail, at least as it relates to these current charges, is a long way off. Uh, Tish James is not done with her investigation, and it is possible that in the course of this prosecution that Weisselberg may flip and provide prosecutors with additional information. But if that does not happen, I don't necessarily know that we have hit the jackpot yet in terms of what sort of charges will be, will be uh, brought against Trump, if any at all. It is a long way off, but the fact that they are indicting not just, not just Weisselberg, but also the Trump organization uh, shows that uh, this was a pattern within the company. What it also does is uh, it forces uh, Trump and his folks to play defense because, you know, he's always throughout the old campaign in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was hitting them all. Oh, no, I, I didn't pay taxes because I'm smart. No, you didn't pay taxes because you also were cheating. And what it also does is it because, again, there's a reason why he was fighting so hard not to have his taxes revealed. Now they have those. And so the opportunity to not just because, first of all, we're talking about Right now, a, a, a Manhattan DA investigation. You mentioned Letitia Dames, a state attorney general. You also have the possibility of a federal investigation. So all of those things uh, could be operating at the same time because now you've opened Pandora's box. That is true, but it's important to understand that even if he were to be convicted and charged in these instances, in most of those cases, as, as far as the tax evasion portion of it, they are likely talking about civil penalties. It would be a very high bar for us to get to a point where we're talking about putting Donald Trump in jail based off of what we know now, which is why prosecutors are so intent and gung-ho in terms of continuing those investigations and trying to get additional information. The big question at this point is, A, will Weisselberg flip? And B, if he flips, what additional information does he have that they will be able to bring more severe charges? Consider this, Roland, and it does matter, it does worth uh, mentioning the IRS. This is a tax case, a tax fraud case. The IRS has yet to file charges in this case. That's actually very, very telling. I'm not saying that they don't have a case. They absolutely do. But in terms of putting someone behind bars who isn't already named in this indictment, they've got a ways to go and they're going to need additional information. Now, in terms of Trump and his circle and his circle of loyalty, we saw what happened with Michael Flynn. We saw what happened with Roger Stone. We saw what happened with Michael Cole. We know that Donald Trump will not hesitate to throw Weisselberg under the bus. The question is, will Weisselberg smarten up before Donald Trump decides to oust him from his inner circle of trust? Uh, as I see, panelists, questions. I'll start with uh, Greg Carr. Greg, your question for Mr. Coleman. No, uh, listen, brother. I Listen, as I was listening there and, and scribbling some notes, I really don't have... A question you you have laid out what is before Trump. I guess my I guess I, the question I would ask would be about the case that uh, the the court's refusal to go down the path that Tisha James then wanted to go down to a few days ago. Um, 
as this works its way through the court, do you think ultimately you're, you're going to see the type of uh, the type of, I don't know, political satisfaction in terms of bagging Trump, his sons, daughter, the family that is spurring the kind of giddiness that we see on the face of our brother, Roland Martin. And I think we're all sharing at this point. Are, are we going to get satisfaction from this? Ultimately? Right. <laughs> well, well, first, Hold up. Al, listen, anything that brings Donald Trump pain brings me satisfaction. Brother, I see you laughing. I was, I'm with you. I'm just like, well, well, anything, well, 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 anything first. that causes him to spend money, anything that pisses him off. I'm down with it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, first, Dr. Carr, I must say that that's the Howard University in me. So that's what you recognize in terms of uh, what came out. That's what that is. Appreciate um, what I what I will say, brother, is uh, part of what has happened. And, and to be honest with you, the same sense of anticlimactic feel that we were talking about in the previous discussion about Bill Cosby is actually similar in this way, because this is a byproduct of what happens when you inject the political system with the criminal justice system at an inordinate rate. And I can explain the parallel if need be, but as it relates to Trump, part of the issue is that Tish James, who is a, another Howard University graduate, near and dear friend, okay. as well as Cy Vance, both campaigned in part around their zeal in terms of going after Donald Trump. And so now they're in a position where, despite the fact that they are outstanding public servants, they have to deliver on this promise. And there's going to be a huge ch a chasm between uh, where Donald Trump is and their ability to get to him without information or support from someone from the inside. And that's where we are right now. And so the question that you that you posed is, you know, essentially, if someone from the Trump organization goes to jail and his name or her name is not Donald Trump, is that going to be enough to satiate the bloodlust that the public has developed in terms of wanting to him to be held accountable for what it is that he has done? My answer is probably not. And the reason I say that is we've seen people go to jail from Trump's camp. And we are not going to be satisfied until, proverbially speaking, in that spades game, somebody throws down the big joker and we see Donald Trump in shackles. Yeah. And that, I don't know, is going to happen, uh, despite the efforts of what some very talented prosecutors and investigators are currently undergoing uh, in their in their jobs. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Uh, Reese Amisha. Hi, yes. What we saw in the Mueller investigation um, was there were these lower level people who were who were quote who flipped, right, who cut deals. And the thought process is that this was some master plan to get to Trump. And uh, it never materialized. Basically, right. everybody just ended up getting off scot-free. And then eventually, uh, Trump pardoned the people that actually did get convicted and, and served some sort of jail time, or in some cases, like uh, Roger Stone. He didn't have to serve much jail time at all. Um, what is your read on this situation with the organization itself being indicted as well as um, Alan Weisselberg? Does this look like a flip strategy or does this look like, to your point, they ran on accountability for the Trump for Trump and the Trump organization? Um, is this an answer the mail, just get somebody and, 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 and go home kind of strategy? What is your read on that? I think it's a combination of both. I think the prosecutors absolutely feel like Weisselberg may be the weakest link and someone who can provide them with the biggest uh, sort of doorway or entree to a bigger sort of more substantive set of charges. Uh, and that's what they're trying to do. If they can't get that and if they can't convince them to flip, um, then 
putting him in jail may be the thing that they offer to the public to say, you know, we indicted the Trump organization. And then what they'll do is essentially blame the system if, in fact, they can't either secure a conviction or go deeper in terms of actually securing an indictment and charges and a conviction against Donald Trump himself. What I'll say about all of that is there is a possibility that Weisselberg may flip. And what I mean by that is Michael Cohen has talked recently about the fact that Donald Trump does not have a problem throwing people who have been loyal to him and his organization under the bus. If Weisselberg is smart, he will hear that and see the writing on the wall. This is someone who is facing anywhere between five to 15 years if he were to be convicted and there were going to be jail, there was going to be jail time attached. Again, a lot of that is not guaranteed. I think the conviction is probably a smarter bet than the actual jail time. Nevertheless, having said that, Weisselberg is not a young man. So the question is, are you willing to risk spending a potential a good chunk of the life you have left behind bars for someone who otherwise might throw you under the bus? Mm. Because of those questions, I am not convinced that Weisselberg will remain as loyal as Donald Trump needs him to be. The bigger issue is, what does he have to offer that will ultimately stick to the former president? Uh, ain't nowhere in the hell, Misha. I'm going to jail for his punk ass. Go ahead. <laughs> and I wouldn't either. But I do think that there's something to be said about the people who Donald Trump chose to be in the executive level of the Trump organization. These are people who are high level loyalists, people who have been loyalists for over four decades, people mm -hmm. who he has entrusted so much of shaded behavior to. We know that Donald Trump does not believe in a paper trail. He's not sending things in emails. He's not doing things um, over text communications. Um, we know that he is involved in some really shady dealings. But with that being said, the majority of the hammer, if it's going to fall, it's going to fall on these executives whose names the general public could care less about and doesn't really know. So I, I think that aside from there being um, damage to the image of, of Donald Trump and his reputation when it comes to these businesses, and even that is not going to hurt him uh, in terms of his base. His base could care less. And he's already going around the country talking about how much of essentially this is a witch hunt and another extension of the of the Mueller investigation, if you will. How do you think that this plays into and I know you're trying to separate the politics from the actual legal side of this. How does this how does this play in for those who are ultimately, in my view, going to be disappointed when Trump, Ivanka, Eric and DJ T Jr. eventually get off? That's a great question. I think I think what may happen is that prosecutors will have to assess where their cases are and start to level set around expectations among the public. You know, one of the things that is easy to do, and I think part of what may have happened in the Cosby case, I know I made an analogy before, is that when you're coming into office as a prosecutor, as a, as a law enforcement official, you're making promises without information quite frankly, especially around investigations that precede you. So what I mean by that is in the case of the Montgomery County prosecutor in Cosby's case, and in this case, you have law enforcement officials, prosecutors, attorney generals, DAs, who are looking at the public landscape, but don't necessarily have information on the inside or from the inside about what's available and what's not. And so you're making promises to the public about what it is that you may be able to deliver without fully knowing what's available to you and obviously not being able to predict what's going to happen in the future. To counteract that, what politicians and elected officials are going to have to do if they get to a point where they see 
We don't have enough information around Trump or enough in terms of being able to secure strong convictions around his higher level of employees or him himself. They may have to begin starting to level set in the public around what the expectation should be and then trying to reframe the narrative about what justice looks like in something like this and basically say, look, we got an indictment against the, the, the Trump organization. We got sanctions. This is a good thing. This is justice. This is moving the needle. This is accountability to thwart off and, and stave off some of the public's criticisms who might say, well, you promised us this and this is why we voted for you. And you seem like you were confident going after him. What happened to all that? You know, as we say, keep that same energy. What happened to that energy that you had when you were running and asking for my vote? Now you haven't delivered. So I think what you will see is elected officials who will look to get in front of those narratives if they don't have enough substance to back up in terms of a grand jury indictment and ultimately a conviction. Yeah. Terry and Charles Coleman, we shall appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. All right, Roland, thanks for having me. Always a, always right. a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you so very much. Uh, all right, folks. Remember that crazy-ass white woman who acted the fool at the Soho Hotel in New York, uh, Mia Ponsetto? Yeah, Soho Karen. Well, guess what? You know, she's facing hate crime charges. Remember, she accused a black teen of stealing her iPhone. Uh, he didn't steal it. Uh, she appeared virtually in court uh, where a New York grand jury indicted her on two counts of unlawful imprisonment as a hate crime, aggravated harassment, and endangering the welfare of a child. Her next court date is set for October 20th. See, Reese, see, this is why I keep trying. Let these crazy ass white folks keep acting the fool, throw their ass in jail, fire them from their jobs, and look, uh, all will be well. I say send all they punk asses to jail. <laughs> Listen, I'm not an abolitionist, okay? So I don't have a problem with her going to jail or any crazy-ass white person going to jail, especially when they mess with I'm not going to be cussing and carrying on today for a change, Roland. Um, but especially when they messing with black people, particularly black children, um, I think, you know, it's this is a moral victory, at least to have the charge. It's very hard to prove intent for um, a racial intent for hate crimes, but she's charged with enough other things. Um, I don't know how much it dissuades crazy ass white people from doing shit because that's why they're crazy ass white people and not rational white people hmm. because they are so emboldened by racism and entitlement and think that they're overseers of black people. But whether it prevents the next person from doing it or not, it sure feels good when every single last one of them or anytime any one of them gets held accountable. Uh, Amisha, the cop who obtained the arrest warrant for Breonna Taylor uh, is still fired. That's right. The Louisville Metro Police Department Merit Board stood by their decision to fire former detective Joshua James for lying on an affidavit claiming he personally confirmed details in the case surrounding Taylor's ex-boyfriend. Uh, James appealed the firing, claiming he was not receiving equal discipline to other officers who have done a similar actions. James and his attorney plan to appeal the case again by taking it to Jefferson Circuit Court. Amisha, I keep saying I, this is my standard. If a cop lies on a police report in the affidavit, fire their ass. Absolutely. And it happens so often. And I guess even for uh, James to come out and basically say that other people didn't receive this type of treatment, that tells us a couple of things. First and foremost, a lot of officers, even on his own force, who are lying on these reports and nothing mm -hmm. is happening. But also in his case, somebody died. Like there is a reason why. And I think that if it wasn't, if this case wasn't elevated so much in the media, he probably would have gotten off just like the other people who he's claiming did as well. But yes, actions have consequences and they should have consequences. Police officers have gotten away without them for far too long. They make lying on reports, a regular regimen. And at this point, there's something that has to be done about that. And I think that those swift firings will definitely change the, change the game when it comes to the willingness 
of people to create these stories and then go ahead and push them out when, you know, when we see investigation after investigation where the initial report that police gave is totally different than what body cam footage, or what happened on the scene actually was. Greg, remember the two teens in Ocean City who were uh, viciously body slammed by cops for vaping on the Ocean City boardwalk? Well, guess what? They're suing that particular town. Uh, they, of course, that video went viral. Uh, after police were ta they showed tasing a uh, taser Griffith as his hands were raised. Another video that went viral. Brian Anderson was pinned to the ground by cops. He says he was choked and kicked multiple times. A large of both teens said they were victims of unreasonable police force and expect the officers to be charged in the suit. The NAACP and other civil rights organizations condemned the Ocean City Police Department and called for the officer's suspension. Ocean City pol uh, police are still conducting an internal review. Well, brother. Now, watch the, I'm sure you, as we all did, watch that press conference with young brother Griffin and his brother and Brian Anderson and then the lawyer who spoke. But the key person in that frame wasn't even uh, uh, the state senator who was out there. Um, very important lawyer herself. But the most important person sitting there in that seersucker suit with his hands folded looking was Billy Murphy. Y'all got Billy Murphy in your ass now. <laughs> the man who settled with Baltimore for $6.4 million for Freddie Gray and a, a noted civil rights attorney. And for those in pop culture, remember that was Clay Davis's lawyer uh, in, in The Wire. So uh, I just got one word for what's going to happen in Ocean City. Y'all get ready to get paid because as Clay Davis would say, she. <laughs> now, I tell y'all, we, 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 we keep talking about what happens when you hold cops accountable. Uh, other cops get the message. Let's go to Colorado, where a police officer is facing felony assault charges for allegedly using an illegal chokehold on a suspect. He was turned in by two fellow cops. Officer Ken Amick, a 15-year police veteran uh, with the Greeley Police Department, is on unpaid leave after Well County prosecutors filed second-degree assault charges against him. According to the reports, Amick and several other officers responded to a call near City Hall where Matthew Wilson was threatening to start a fire. Wilson had an outstanding warrant, and when Amick tried to arrest Wilson, he became agitated. Investigators say that when, the office, when Officer Amick put Wilson in a chokehold uh, during the scuffle, Amick kneed Wilson in the leg. Amick was immediately removed from patrol duty. He has a court hearing next month. See, accountability, and this is the whole deal. When other cops stop making excuses for cops, Amisha, then things are done right. And so that's where I, I, I keep telling people it's slowly but surely when you hold cops accountable, the other, and then when you say if you are a cop and you witness wrongdoing and you don't uh, say anything, we're going to hold you accountable. Yeah, folk going to start talking. Exactly. Uh, there is a code of silence. There's also a code of blue and blue backs blue time and time again. And we know that in many cases, these aren't isolated incidents where uh, a cop uses a chokehold and he's the only cop on the uh, on site when it happens. There are typically other cops there as well. And they just kind of shield each other away from any liability. At this point, I think that this, the police reform narrative that we're still waiting to see actually happen in practice, um, there are certain things that we can do at the local level, certain things that can happen very specifically within uh, police departments themselves, where police empower other police officers to tell, you know, see, see something, say something. Uh, but on top of that, also not be afraid that they are going to be ostracized or not given assignments or removed from certain things because they stepped up and spoke out. I think that we have to increase, we have to see increases in penalties for cops that do bad things or cops that use um, use things like chokeholds or other, other instances of brutal behavior that has already been banned. As we all know, a ban does not stop an officer from using something that has been banned. But we also have to ensure that we are um, being very 
serious about making sure that the other officers are protected who actually reach out and make those reports to tell when they see something. Because in many cases, it doesn't happen because those officers fear some type of retaliatory you know, measures as well. So I think that in this case, yes, things went the way that they should have gone. Those officers did what they need to do. I would hope that other officers across the country feel empowered when they see some wrongdoing to do the same thing. Like I said, you got to put it in the contracts. You got to tell every cop you witness wrongdoing and you don't report it. We're going to hold you accountable, Reese. Absolutely. And I mean, we see it on the on the extreme end of this in the George Floyd case um, or Derek Chauvin case and, and his and the other officers that stood by and did absolutely nothing while Derek Chauvin executed George Floyd in broad daylight. And now they're facing charges. And so the cops have to understand that they're just as invested as the victims of police brutality are because their asses are going to be on the line. And so I think that, you know, you have a lot of cops that say they're good cops and, you know, these cops don't represent all of us. Well, that's the way you prove it by turning in those that are conduct that are engaging in this police misconduct. Because to be honest, when it comes from a fellow cop, there is much more likely for it to be believed and get a conviction. That was very key in the Derek Chauvin case where you had cop after cop get up there and say this was not normal behavior. This was far outside of, you know, standard protocol. And that I think made a huge difference in terms of getting a conviction in that case, in addition to obviously the very gut-wrenching uh, video footage that we saw. So cops, you know, put your money where your where your mouth is. If you believe that this stuff is, is not representative of you, then step up and, and turn those people in that are, that are conducting themselves in a way that does not reflect well on the entire department. And you got cops, Greg, who are always talking about on the community. Oh, y'all need to y'all need to end this uh, no snitching stuff. Well, hell, why don't y'all start? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Roland, you know, again, this is something that sets you apart from so many others who are claiming to do news. You're in the street. And we understand that when you are in the street, when you're organizing, when you're pushing, it's sometimes difficult to see the large scale change when you're literally in the face of that small stuff that's incremental. As we sit here and wait for Tim Scott to come up with whatever he's writing on the back of a piece of tissue paper as his <laughs> counter proposed to the George Floyd bill, what have we seen in the last few days? Apparently today, Jim Clyburn then got his head together with Scott. Now they talking to Lindsey Graham, who apparently has been talking to Ben Crump. And, and can we can we can we pull some out? Hakeem Jeffries blew the whistle and said it's the police unions terrified that are torpedoed in legislation because they don't want to give up any notion of qualified immunity, which includes intent, but also extreme recklessness, also depraved indifference to human life. And Jeffries is saying, we're going to get something done in the next six months, but maybe even sooner. I'm saying all that to say that all of this desperation is a result of people being in the streets and not just in protests all last summer up to now. Talk about that organizing work, Cliff and Latosha out there, you going on location, places to places, new mayors in places like Buffalo, New York, or in St. Louis. Inch by inch, it's crumbling. They would like nothing more than to say, we ain't passing nothing. But so, and, and then finally, just to, to point you raised, Reese, if you're a human being on a police force, if you were the interim police chief in Louisville, like the sister who fired that white boy, and then they're going to try to get him his job back go, by going to court, don't matter. Do the right thing. Why? Because the tide of history is moving inexorably, and we can see it crumbling. We just got to keep the faith and keep fighting. That's what we got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're absolutely right about that, which is why what we do here on this show, uh, which is why we want you to support what we do. Uh, so I was so I was going to wait. I was going to wait. Anthony, come here. 
So I was going to wait uh, uh, to do this here, y'all. Um, and so I've been telling you, we've been moving. So we're actually in our new space. Um, and it is no, we have not completed anything at all. Uh, so we're going to do this here. Uh, take it all the way out, Anthony. So you'll see uh, we, we got a single camera set up, y'all. We normally do. We're, on, we're using StreamYard. Our control room is not set up. Uh, and so just want to give you a sense uh, of we're putting everything together. Uh, and so we literally are unpacking uh, and moving everything over. And so you're going to get a shot of our control room when Anthony completes this turn. Uh, just if y'all think we ain't trying to go next level, watch this. So it's all about open space, all about art. Wow. And so that right there is uh, you can just zoom right in. That right there is uh, our new control room. So normally that's where all the staff is in there, how we actually doing this show, routing everything through there. Uh, so we're having to sit here now to you know, utilize uh, StreamYard because uh, we're setting everything up. Internet uh, was installed today. We're putting everything in there. Now go right down. Just zoom it all the way in. Zoom it all the way in. Keep going all the way into the control room. Uh, and so just you'll get a sense of uh, uh, what we're doing, uh, adding uh, new features, all kind of different stuff. And so uh, I, I, I told y'all I wasn't playing. I told y'all I was not playing. Uh, with what we're doing and what we're building uh, here uh, for uh, Roller Mart Unfiltered. You can bring it back around, Anthony. Uh, and so uh, once it all is finished, y'all going to really be uh, blown away uh, by what we're doing. So uh, I always do that because I want you to understand uh, what your dollars are going to uh, to support. Because uh, other folks who've asked y'all for money, uh, I see they never show y'all what the money goes to. Uh, so you, you actually get to get to see it. Uh, and so uh, that's why we actually join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes support what we do. And so you can. So our ask is real simple. We're trying to get twenty thousand of our fans to contribute on average fifty bucks each over the course of a year. That's four dollars and nineteen cents a month, thirteen cents a day. Uh, and you can do so. Some people have given less. People have given a dollar, five, ten. We accept all of it. I've been places. I told y'all when I was in Chicago last week, a brother walked up to me with an SCIU shirt on, got out of his car in the rain, walked up to me, handed me a ten dollar bill. And said, thanks for what you're doing. We got back, got, got in his car and went on home. Mm -hmm. And he said, I wanted to personally uh, hand this money to you. Uh, that was a woman. Uh, what is her, her name? Was Renee. Give me one second. Uh, Renee actually uh, flew in from Florida. She was here on some other business. Uh, Renee uh, flew in, and I'm trying to find her email. Her name was Renee Jackson. Renee Jackson came by the office, y'all, before she went to the airport to personally hand me her $80. For our Bring the Funk <laughs> fan club. Uh, and she said, uh, she said, I watched this show. She had her medication. Uh, <laughs> she's fighting a lawsuit. She's, she had her cane. She said, but I wanted you to see, uh, I wanted to support you uh, and, 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 and support the show. Y'all, that's the kind of fabulous fans that we have mm -hmm. that makes all of this possible. Uh, and y'all have to understand, the previous place we were in, we had one, we just had one set. We couldn't move around. Uh, that office, we didn't have any opportunity for growth. We thank 50 Can for allowing us to sublet that place. That place was costing us about 7000 a month. Y'all have to understand, this new, new office, which is this whole new look, is going to cost us 15500 a month. Uh, and so it's doubling our rent, but it allows us to actually expand our capabilities. 
I told y'all our OTT channels are being built. That's $153,700. The website have been totally rebuilt. That's $7,000. So right there, that's $160,000 you're talking about. You throw in what, what the rent, what that means. Now you're talking about that's another $180,000, $200,000. So between new office space, OTT channels, uh, and the website, you're talking about $360,000 of being spent. And so that's why uh, we are real clear. So some of y'all are like, man, why are you sitting here kicking these advertisers behind? That's why. We need resources to do what we do, to pay staff, to be able to expand our offerings. And so that's why it's important for you to support us. Please do so. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. PayPal is paypal.me forward slash Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com or rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. want to thank uh, Greg, Reese, and Amisha for being with us. Uh, Erica, y'all, y'all keep y'all ask Erica Savage Wilson. She is she's healing. She's getting better. Uh, and so uh, we always uh, give a shout out to Erica who normally joins us on Thursday. And so we're still thinking about her and praying for her as well. Folks, we're going to end the show with one of our Essence throwbacks uh, happening right now is actually the uh, the Essence versus uh, partnership. Bobby Brown versus Key Sweat. Ooh, I'm I'm, I'm going to go with the OG Key Sweat. I mean, I, no, Bobby, Bobby got Brown. hit. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby got hits. But guess what? Keith got make it last forever. That's all I'm saying. All right, y'all. But, but, but we're going to end this with our Coca-Cola Essence Festival throwback. My man, Pastor Lester Love from the gospel stage uh, and the Essence throwback. Y'all, that's how we're going to end today's show. I'm going to see y'all tomorrow.
has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.